0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks.
1: Welcome into the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by John Bowman, the live guru these days. We're hosted live on StreamYard, also on the YouTube, Inside Carolina YouTube channel. Got two special guests today. It's not on-the-beat live, that'll be tomorrow night, but it is a special live podcast with Jason Staples and Taylor Vipulis. What's going on, fellas? It's great to be here, always. Jason, is it great for you to be here? (laughs) I mean, where else would I want to be? Wow. Wow. Already starting. So, uh, So what I wanted to do is get us together. Camp opens on Friday. Carolina's got some splaining to do after last season. Um, made me look bad on a twelve and zero podcast, but Taylor, I will I will come to you first on this one. Um, Mike had some things to say in ACC kickoff and and has in the off season. Do you think that the message has gotten through to the players? I know we'll find out soon enough, um, but from what you've seen, heard, heard about, got text about in off workouts leading up to fall camp starting Friday. Has the message gotten through to the players themselves, in your opinion?
2: I think it has, only because when uh, we we're talking to Josh Downs at the ACC kickoff, he was kind of talking about that South Carolina bowl game and how embarrassed a lot of those people were in the locker room. And I think that was the the turning point in, in this North Carolina locker room where a lot of those guys – you know, Josh Downs admitted a lot of those guys that played in that game didn't want to play in that game. And they kind of addressed that right after the game and saying, like, if you don't want to be here, just get out. Just get out now. You know, some people transferred, some people left, uh, some people moved on, whatever. Um, but I think that was the first sign that people were starting to to get it. And this was uh, an off season that was kind of dominated by the basketball team on campus where. North Carolina goes through their spring, and if if you're not a diehard North Carolina football fan, you most likely did not hear one storyline come out of Chapel Hill centered around that football team. And that's a, a drastic comparison to where we were this time last year where we're talking about is, is North Carolina ready to make that leap into the Clemson territory when two minutes into the game, I think everybody from that North Carolina locker room believed that they were 2 minutes into that game in Blacksburg it was pretty clear that that team was a lot closer to a pretender than they were that that national title contender that Clemson is every year and i think that's kind of led to an off season where guys are getting back to fundamentals and they are getting back to putting in work and i the only way you could really see that i i know uh, i'm kind of at the same point a lot of fans are when you hear a lot about the culture and Uh, things change. I want to see it on the field, Um, but from from everything that you've been able to take from North Carolina and listening to the players, it does sound like, at the very least, the message has been received.
1: Jason, we'll get into some of your uh, offensive side of the ball scouting reports here and get Taylor's opinion on them and and go through it and John can jump in as he see fit. Step on my toes, John. Anytime. I don't mind. Gregory perfected the art and got pretty good at it and got better than us at it. So, uh, I don't mind at all, but Jason, how surprised, uh, were you to hear, I mean, we saw the effects of it (laughs) last year, but to hear Mac Brown talk about, he would tell people, he would tell guys stuff and they just wouldn't listen. Uh, I mean, That can't happen, right? I mean, and it seemed like um, it was pretty clear it happened a lot in the South Carolina bowl game. But, you know, Matt Brown with his staff changes, um, have they gotten the message? Coaches and players?
3: I don't know. Uh, I mean, at this stage of the year, it's, it's a lot of talk. And, I mean, the only way that we'll know, is what they actually look like when the pads come on. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. I mean, you can say all the right things, but unless you're in the locker room and you're and you're in practice and you see that, and I'm I'm interested in actually seeing what practice looks like. Uh, early on, you know, there are a couple opportunities that we're going to get to take a look at at, at practice. I want to see what the intensity level looks like. I want to, and I didn't get to get a chance to go to practice last year. I mean, things were a little bit trickier last year with, for a lot of reasons, but I want to see what it, what that intensity level looks like. And um, I think this is one of those things where if you've been around championship level football and you've seen programs like Clemson or uh, when Florida state was at their peak or a Georgia or an Alabama, when you see them practice, and then you go see anybody else practice, you t- you know the difference. Mm-hmm. You can see that difference. And you can see it in practice. So I'm interested in seeing that. I think we'll be able to, to have a better sense even two, three weeks from now. Two, I'd say two weeks from now after we've seen uh, at least you know portions of the first padded practice. Uh, we'll have a better sense because we're going to get to see whether these guys are, are, are putting in that level of of, uh, physicality and jumping when the coaches say to jump kind of thing. And you can see some of that in practice. Uh, but I I mean, the fact that guys weren't doing what they were supposed to do, the guys were just kind of blowing off the coaches. That's why we saw some of the changes that we did. So, I mean, it's not like no measures were taken here. I mean, a number of guys, like, like Vip said, a number of guys were, have moved on from the players. And then there, there were some changes made with the coaches for the same, for those reasons among others. So, um, and, and, you know, I've been very clear from the very beginning that, you know, Jay Bateman is not, he would, he, he did not wind up parting ways with, with North Carolina over problems with Bateman's scheme being too complex or anything like that. And there's nothing like that. The issue had to do with making sure that the entire defensive staff was on one page and that the players were on the same page with the staff. And that's hard to do. First of all, if the, if the staff's not on all, all on one page. And secondly, if the players are not all on one page and they weren't with the coaches, then you're going to have some problems. So what they did is they went in and they brought in a guy who is, uh, you know, he kind of makes his hay on, on, getting guys to buy into him on that defensive side and really pay attention to the, to the details. And with uh, Charlton as well, with, with with Warren on campus as well, you know, those guys, their, their mission is not so much to reform what they're doing schematically. I think they're going to run a lot of the same stuff. They'll build on a lot, a lot of what was already there, but their whole, the whole point of bringing those guys in was to fix that problem of making sure that guys are doing what they're supposed to do and that the whole team is on one page. Now that's why you brought him in. Like I said, I, I'm very much, I will believe it when I see it. I want to see it. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I am i have not seen any proof yet. So I'm, I'm hearing lots of the right things, but lots of people say
0: lots of lots of things and then they don't do it. That's a good segue into one of our first questions here from a YouTube commenter. This is from Thomas. What scares you most about this North Carolina football team? Maybe either. Taylor or, or Tommy, if you want to take that one, kind of building off some of what Jason was saying there.
1: I'll let VIP go first. I've got something. VIP, you you good? Your connection good with us?
2: Yeah. Is is this is this looking at it from an offensive perspective?
0: I think you can take, take it. it yeah, offensively tonight. Yeah, specifically on offense. What scares you the the most about this game? But, but I mean, if
3: there is something defensively that scares you more, mention <laughs> it. Yeah. I want to. He- yeah. I want to hear your whole answer. Here. <laughs> I
2: I think what would scare me the most for this North Carolina team is the offensive line. Um they they return a ton of uh a ton of experience. It's an offensive line. It, it has three grad transfers, uh two redshirt seniors, a, a senior um but like the the production that is returning wasn't the best last year. You you lose your best offensive lineman in Josh Azudu. You're rolling into the season with a a unknown at quarterback for the most part. Um and then it's it's just an offensive line that has kind of been up and down and for the most part down for Carolina. And it's one of the reasons why they made a change at, at the offensive line um coaching position. Um so for me that would be the biggest concern, and if I had to pick what I'd be the most concerned about defensively, it would be uh, the health of of the secondary. I uh, I think on paper the Carolina secondary is is pretty good, uh, but somebody like Storm Duck has been in and out with injuries. You have somebody like Aquarius Conley um, coming back from an ACL injury. You just look. You just have to look to the spring game when they they had like four DBs that were able to dress out for the spring game. It's tough to kind of split into two teams. Um, so it would be the offensive line on the offensive side of the ball, and then the second, the health of the secondary in um, on defense.
1: I agree with both of those things from VIP, but I'm going to go with what Jason talked about. And what we just talked about is did they get the message that the coaches – Um, are in charge and all, and quite frankly, uh, one thing that that affects teams, and you guys both played the game, Vip and Jason, is if you you don't have players that hold other players accountable, then you don't have, coaches can't do it for everybody, and and if the coaches have to do it, there's going to be issues, especially if things go sideways, so I'll be interested to see how they come out, how they practice. Um, To Jason's point earlier, and this is something that you know, other fan bases like to talk about Carolina generally wins the preseason and off season post, uh, press conferences. They, you know, that's the thing, um, guys need to get healthy, but guys got to have their attitudes, right. And if what Josh Downs was talking about and VIP, you went through it 14 to 15. Um, if that fundamental change has occurred that we think may have occurred, then I think this team can pretty good, be pretty good. Cause I don't necessarily think talent, um, is an issue. And, uh, the comment popped up on the board, Scott Holland said, more sense of urgency. And I agree with that. I agree that there were times when guys didn't seem to have that. And it was across the board and it was some good players that did that. And so that'll be a tale for me. But again, I don't think you can find that out until they start playing.
2: From the ACC kickoff, one of the things that Mac had mentioned Uh, that's been an emphasis for this team this off season since, since the last season really ended was um, it was PAT where it's passion. It's um, what's a I'm blanking on accountability and then toughness. So they, they felt like guys just didn't really love coming in last year for, for whatever reason. Um, You know, you, you put up 50, 60 points against Virginia You think you're the best team. You don't really come after every practice with the same intensity. You go to Atlanta and you lay a a terrible performance against um, Georgia Tech. Accountability, he didn't feel like when the things were going well, that players were holding others accountable when things would start to tail off. And toughness, you, you see them, they're up 10 points or whatever they were against NC State, they fold. It's a a first and two against Pittsburgh with a chance to win the game. They can't punch it in. Um, So that's been a point that Mac Brown's really been hammering home with with that passion, accountability, and toughness.
1: Still can't believe that state game happened. I mean, if one guy makes a play, any one guy on anywhere makes a play. Let's get into the uh, previews. And, And folks, first question I got was something about quarterbacks. Those have not dropped. Yet on Inside Carolina Tar Pit Premium message board from Jason. And we're not going to drop them here, but I will allow uh, Jason to tease them a little bit. Jason, I assume you've uh, done one for each of the three, Connor Harold included. Um, I almost said Deems May, (laughs) but Drake May, Jacoby Criswell, Connor Harold. Let me ask you uh, just sort of a general question What did you learn? maybe that you didn't know watching these guys as in-depthly as you were able to do over this off season film whatever what would you learn about each one maybe that something jason didn't know at the at the point going into it
3: um well i do think one one thing that stood out right away is that uh that may's drake may's footwork was horrendous last spring i'm talking about just an absolute mess uh, and there had been a little bit of improvement into the season and definitely some more improvement in the spring. So he's getting better. So that's a plus. That's that's something that I, I wasn't sure about. Uh, and I think that that there has been some improvement there., uh, still sometimes in the spring game where you could see his feet and his eyes were not synced up, and he he, you know he his footwork, Causes him to throw all arm, and then you know that's that that costs some accuracy at times. But it was not nearly as bad as it was last year, so he's progressing there. That's something I wanted to see, and I wasn't sure really about. And then uh, got to see more of that uh, this spring. So so that's a po- that's a positive. Um, I think I was surprised. I, I mean, I was very surprised by the level of play that I saw from Harold. Um, he is. Uh, He's a really smart guy. I mean, that that's very clear from watching how quickly he was able to pick things up and the way that he was able to respond. I mean, they ran simple stuff for the most part for him in the spring game. But the, the, uh, the level of command that he had and how decisive he was in, in, in making the throws that he did and getting the ball out on time, uh, knowing when to scramble, those sorts of things. And then, you know, some of the, some of the bellwether throws that I have for guys, I mean, how accurate are you going to be throwing the scat route or the little swing pass, that sort of thing for a lot of people, you know, they think of that as, you know, really easy throw. That's actually one of the harder throws in the game. I want to make, I want to see a guy that puts that on the money every time. And, you know, you can see that with young guys right away. You can see a little bit about their accuracy potential there. So I, I had very, very little, uh, knowledge of what to expect with him coming in and, and he looked really good. He looked like a guy that could come in and, and, and actually be a viable starter down the line. So that, that was a plus. Uh, and then, you know, I knew more about, uh, uh, about Criswell coming in. So there was less surprise or less that, that, you know, less to think about there, uh, in terms of, you know, oh, wow, that, you know, I didn't know about that with him. But I do think that we saw a little bit more uh, of throwing on the move from him in the spring game uh, and, and, and sort of coming out of that than we had seen before. I mean, we'd seen him throw from the pocket and we all knew that he had a really strong arm. But, you know, they haven't really moved the pocket. And hadn't had those guys throw on the run much before, and he was, you know, seeing him do that as well, and, and throw on the move, and his comfort level there was something else that uh, that I did see uh, come up. So, I mean, those are those are I, I think pieces that that I could point to for each of the three guys. Uh, beyond that, there was not as much that sort of stood out that we that that I didn't know. Just certain things got confirmed, or certain things. Uh, stood out more uh, for each guy but uh, but I won't go into the full scouting report for each of them just yet since uh, we're waiting to release those right before the season starts you know how this works for uh, uh, you know for, for this kind of business so
0: speaking of quarterbacks I have a question for Tommy actually Tommy we all know your your favorite quarterback is the backup <laughs> quarterback how are you going to decide if there's a QB competition in ball practice if they, the if they
1: play two if they play two on the regular it might be connor harrell <laughs> you know i might just have to go out of the box And uh what, man bucket buck started that like 15 years ago <laughs> or long no it's actually longer than that 20 years ago when it was cj stevens um and durant and all those guys man that thing has lived i hate i'm gonna get me a 12 and old necklace <laughs> And I'm gonna have a backup quarterback jersey. It's not gonna have a number on it, it's just gonna say backup QB. Vip, it, it, has to, you... it
2: has to be like that brown t-shirt where each one it's like the next quarterback. <laughs> in the the it's every quarterback that was ever the backup at North Carolina. It just goes one by one.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that you know, you know, there should be there should be a t-shirt like that of all the of all the backups and air parents. But uh, you know, it's funny too, Tommy, is that you're getting a ton of uh uh, you know, you've been, we've, we've all been piling on you since, since the 12 and 0 but of all the people to, to go out on a limb of 12 and 0 <laughs> it's just, it's just hilarious to me that it was you
1: <laughs> given your
3: track record of like, Oh, we suck. And this is going to be a terrible season and <laughs> oh, we'll I'm be lucky. To, we'll be lucky to win this. It's a must win game, but we'll be lucky to win it. And then you, you're the guy that goes out and does that. And now that's, that's something that's going to hang around your neck for years.
1: Wow. Vip, I, I, I need you to find me a guy. I need 12-0. It's kind of like that uh, Paulo Bancaro, whatever he had on his neck at a draft day. I need the same thing that says 12-0. Oh, see,
3: I was thinking you were going, like, all turnover <laughs> chain with it.
1: Yeah, I could do that. You know, just something big, a big dookie chain with 12-0, and 0 and I'll wear it around. Vip, uh, what about these QBs? I, you know, Jason will release them at the last minute. It's like, you know, we don't get the full thing until – We'll see who runs out, who the last Jason uh, thing drops. You know, at seven thirty on the twenty seventh. But what have you learned this this summer? Uh, maybe from talking to the guys and, and hear here about these, this quarterback situation. I mean, look, we can talk all we want negative about uh, Sam Howell and leadership and all that. But the bottom line is, greatest quarterback to play at Carolina, and now he's not there. And we've got three guys that we're here talking about. And Carolina's got to roll one of them out to start the season, um, but somebody's got to produce for Phil Longo. Where, where are you at this point?
2: Yeah, the the level of concern from the players on North Carolina's team, it, it's not it's non-existent. And I think if it was even the the slightest bit of doubt, North Carolina could have taken a transfer quarterback if. North Carolina had some doubt about who the next quarterback was going to be. Somebody like Josh Downs probably isn't at North Carolina. And that's not even from a a NIL uh, tampering perspective. That's Josh Downs looking out for what's going to put Josh Downs in the best position to be a first round pick next year. So I think that was my biggest takeaway talking to some of these players on this North Carolina team that, they're not worried about who the next quarterback is, whether it's you know Criswell or May. Um, I, I, Mac Brown's kind of said it's a it's a two quarterback race. Um, just just with how much Harrell kind of has to um, still grow as a freshman, um, and the training wheels still kind of being on him a bit. Um, but I think, from a North Carolina fan perspective, you have to realize that this time three years ago. North Carolina was going into that South Carolina game, not knowing if it was going to be Cade Fortin, Jace Ruder, or Sam Howell. And the, the same kind of conversations were happening, like, you know, what's going to happen? And it turns out that Sam Howell has, you know, a, a great year, a great UNC career. And I think when, when you look at the, the track record from Phil Longo, he's been an offensive coordinator. I have this stat. He's been an offensive coordinator for five seasons At the Power 5 level, on average, they're the 28th team in the country um, when it comes to scoring offense. Ole Miss, this first year, they were 37th, then 41st, then at North Carolina, it went 39th, 10th, and 16th. On average, 28th in the country, that puts you at about 32 points per game. If if you're telling me right now that this North Carolina team could be 28th in the country when it comes to scoring offense and be a near top twenty-five offense with everything that all the question marks they have, I think most fans would sign up for 32 points per game and then hope that Coach Chiswick has it figured out. So I think <laughs> between I think between the UNC players' confidence in their quarterbacks and then when you look at Phil Longo's track record as an OC, I, I, I know it's easy for fans to kind of nitpick every every offensive decision that kind of comes out um, from North Carolina, but the stats do indicate that North Carolina has had a top 25 offense for you know a good part of the time that Phil Longo's been here and even better, like a, a top 15 type offense. And I know, I know Sam Powell had a big part to do with that, but this is still an offense where I think you can plug and play especially when you have somebody like Josh Downs anchoring the offense.
3: Indeed. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to jump in here too. The reason that they're not concerned about the quarterback position is, you know, on my assessment. So I will tease this. I, I of all the things to look at on the offense, I'm not concerned about the quarterback position. <laughs> I think, you know, I'll, I'll take that a step further. I don't think there's going to be a be a huge drop off at the quarterback position from when Sam Howell was there last year. So, uh, and I know that's saying a lot, but is that does that mean that you're going to get exactly the same level? No. Sam was a third year starter, but I think the quarterback position is going to be a strength for the Carolina offense and you know there are other concerns that are that are there on offense that may limit things a little bit more but i think the quarterback position will be in good hands they're going to be fine i i you know i think howell's freshman year or you know is sort of the you know the kind of thing that that could be expected from what we what what we get from the quarterback position this year the real concern that i have is and i mean level of play not necessarily numbers i mean numbers are are dependent on what's around you. But my real concern there is, is are you going to get the level of play that you need from the, the receiver depth? You know, you've got downs, you know, Antoine green has, has, you know, sort of developed towards where he should. What about the rest? I mean, you got some real question marks there and then, you know, Vip, you already pointed out that there's question marks at the, uh, at the line position. So when you're looking at those things, I, I think there are other concerns way ahead of the quarterback position, and I think the quarterback position is going to be actually a strength for Carolina this year.
1: Ooh, that's a that's a big one. That, that might be on the same level as the twelve and I, I do think <laughs> I do think that the quarterback probably matters the least in Phil Longo, Longo's offense as far as production wise. But I, I think I think there will be times where Carolina will realize how good Sam Howe was. There'll be times when folks realize how good Phil Longo is. And and so we'll see how that shakes out. Let me take a second and talk about Johnny T shirt, johnnyt shirt.com. I didn't get it from Jason. I usually get the the grunt from Jason, but Johnny T shirt, certainly sponsors of the Inside Carolina podcast, friends of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers, and of course they got all the swag you could ever imagine. I'm gonna steal a line from Joey Powell and the podcast I just listened to. If you if Johnny T shirt doesn't have it, you don't need it because they've got everything you could possibly want, Carolina gear. Support them. Support them on East Franklin Street. Support them online. And go visit them and buy up everything you need. Football season starts in how many days? 50 days or less. You need to get all your stuff um, because you need to wear it when you come see us at the Inside Carolina Tailgate down in the Bowls lot. Take a short break. Let National Guys pay the bills. Special podcast, VIP, Staples, Dr. Jason, that is. John Bowman, I'm host Tommy Ashley. Johnny T-shirt. Woo! we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Bowman producing this wonderful show, Taylor Vipolis there. Jason Staples getting loose in Dr. Strange room. Uh, John Bowman, I'll let you take over with some questions. I've got some more, uh, but jump in here and lead us where
0: you may. Yeah, we're getting a lot of really great questions. I want to start the running back portion of the conversation here. We're getting a lot of interesting Questions about UNC's backfield. Uh, Just to orient us here, I want to throw out some stats as well. British Brooks averaged 9.52 yards per carry last season. Only had 31 attempts, though. So this is for Taylor or for Jason. How much pressure is on British Brooks, as Eric writes, to carry the running back backfield? Or do you think someone else is going to step up and kind of take the mantle as the season goes along? go with it. Bill. I
2: think I think without a doubt going into the season and throughout the season British Brooks is is that number one back for Carolina. I think he kind of proved it the that NC State game and during the bowl game against South Carolina where he was averaging every time he he touched the ball, he was averaging a first down where if if you do want to criticize the offensive coordinator and the offensive coaches it's kind of like how come British Brooks didn't get more carries and he um, he he was on the sideline more than he was in the game especially after that the big run that he had in South Carolina I think it cut it to like 19 to 7 and then he had one carry the rest of the game which was uh, the only first down Carolina got the entire game against South Carolina um, but I, I think British Brooks is the guy I think last year it's it's easy to kind of fall into the the trap i think um from like a coaching perspective of thinking like of trying to separate your mind of this guy is a walk-on and this guy is like a scholarship guy it's kind of like in the nfl like if if they're paying one guy the the minimum and they're paying another guy 20 million dollars that team is going to do everything in their power to try to make it that $20 million guy to kind of justify some things and knowing that they're going to get all the shots. So I don't think for whatever reason, British Brooks probably got the same opportunity because every time he got in the game, he did look good. He, he looked like the a physical back that could contribute at this level. And I think when, when you have a quarterback like Sam Howell, it's easy to kind of fall into the trap of thinking like, this is the guy who has to carry us to victory. It's kind of like I – would, I would kind of compare it to um, in the NFL, the, the Chiefs, when you're watching the Chiefs in the playoffs last year, where teams are just daring them to take what the defense is giving them, and the, it's all those underneath throws, and they know Patrick Mahomes just wants to load up and throw it to uh, Tyreek Hill deep, and a team like the Bengals is just going to sit back 15 yards and be like – either you're going to dink and dunk us down this field, or you're going to play into our hands and throw into um, tight coverages. And at the end of the day, the Bengals won because chiefs just weren't willing to, to take what the defense was giving them. And I don't think North Carolina was willing to take what the defense was giving them towards the end of uh, last year, especially in that bowl game, kind of getting away from British Bros. But I think, the one problem with this running back room is that there are six capable guys. I think that's numbers wise. That's going to be a problem because at the end of the day, you, you only have one football and it's six guys that probably think that they should be playing at, at a high D one level. Um, so I would expect, I, you just can't expect to keep all six of those backs. I think that's kind of a, a pipe dream. Um, but I, I, If I had to bet money who North Carolina's leading rusher is, at the end of the year, it would be British Brooks after what he showed those last two games.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app.
1: Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. So, let me jump in before I kick it to you, Jason. A couple questions. Um, and I think this is relevant. Somebody posted and I can't see it. Maybe it was Will Miller. Uh, Brooks was fresh at the end of the year, a lot more so than anybody else on any team that they played. I think that showed. But also, somebody else in the chat, and I'm sorry, I've, I've scrolled past it, mentioned, you know, Omarion Hampton eventually being the starter or how long it takes to he gets the starter. I mean, you've reviewed these guys. Um, and Preston from Greensboro asked a, a relevant question, even though we didn't see the time with Ty Chandler, is what which back can catch it the best out of the backfield? I think that is something that was there. you talking about taking what defenses were giving you, Vip. That was there all year. And Ty Chandler was open all the time and didn't get the ball. So, saying all that, Jason, is British Brooks really the guy? I think he's a great story, and I think he was, he looked very good when he got an opportunity late in the season. Um, but he, is he the guy um, for 2022?
3: Again, that remains to be seen to some degree. He's going to be given the benefit of the doubt for sure uh, because of how he finished last year and because of how he looked in the spring. Uh, you know, he, he looked like the dude in the spring as well. So, I mean, he, he's carried that forward. Uh, but I, I will say there's one place where I disagree with VIP in terms of why he didn't get as much of an opportunity early on. I think it's, it's partly true that it has to do with the, uh, with the, the sort of contract kind of thing that, you know, it's got guys that are brought in on scholarship and recruited in different ways, you know, you're going to default to those, but I think, you know, and we've talked about this before, uh, at least I've talked about it before, uh, if you go back to, to 2020 and you look at that Texas A&M game, that was his audition. That was that was his opportunity to take and seize that job. And if you look at that stat line against Texas A&M, it was 15 carries for 53 yards, averaged 3.53 yards per carry, and didn't have a big play. And he had two or three op- opportunities, a couple of which were really, really good notable opportunities where he had a one-on-one with a second level defender that he's got to win. And he just got cut down. You know, those are tackles that, that Javante had been breaking that, you know, Michael Carter had been shaking and those have been going for touchdowns in the year. And then those just didn't in the bowl game. And that's part of why they felt like they had to go out and get a tie champ. So you look at that now i think in hindsight there's a couple things one is i think he improved i I think physically he looked like a different player last year than he did in the bowl game in 2020 so i think he just had a really good off season put you know put a lot of work in for sure uh but i also think you know texas a&m was a really good tackling football team and so that may have been a little bit of a uh of a you know factor in terms of he didn't look as good against them as he might have against most other defenses prior to that so you know you just don't know how much was improvement versus how much uh and AM made him look like he really didn't belong on that field and that's the one game where he just didn't he didn't have it uh and like i said that was his audition once then chandler gets on campus and you've got hood and you've got some others now then since he didn't go out and seize it you've got that's when the factors that you're talking about Taylor come in where, you know, he also is a former walk on and there's other factors involved. And then he comes out and, you know, does what he does in the last couple games of the, of the 2021 season. And he sees the job for the first, for the first half, at least of the, of the 2022 season. So he's going to get every benefit of the doubt right now, because it's, it's a proven thing that he can, he can make plays against a good defense or at least against an NC state. Uh, so, He, uh, you know, he's, he's proven that now, I think that there's a good, that's a good question about, he was fresh. I think that's a very, very important point and a a, a worthy question of, will he be as effective when he's not as fresh, when everybody's at the same sort of level of freshness at the beginning of the season, will he be as effective? And again, we can't know that the thing that encourages me is that he looked really good against Carolina's own defense in the spring game. He carried it when he carried it. You could see the burst. You could see the broken tackles. You could see all that. And that's either bad for Carolina's defense or that just means that he's continuing to play at the level that he showed at the end of last year, regardless of who's fresh and who's not. So. I'm inclined to think that he's going to be the leading, leading rusher until I see otherwise, and that he's got a chance to really put up, put up a good season with, with the way that he ran last year. So uh, I think the other question is who the best receiver is uh, from, from what I saw. Uh, I think you can argue for Petaway based on, you know, some of the stuff that he's done in the slot and all of that at the high school level and like in the high school all-star game. Uh, but proven at the, uh, at the college level, that's a little bit of a different question. I mean, surely he can catch. He can run some routes and all of that. Um, so you know, you you've got that. And also, I don't think that the uh, that the young freshmen are necessarily going to be in. You know, the first they're going to be the first uh, backups or anything at this stage. So I I you know of the guys that are most likely to be on the field at least early in the season, you know, I would give that that nod to DJ Jones. You know, he's a guy that I think. Has proven to be more uh, more adept as a receiver out of the backfield. I mean, that was kind of his primary role last year. At different points, is as a as a reliable receiver option when uh, when Chandler wasn't on the field. So he's probably the most versatile there. Uh, Elijah Green, though, also is a guy that you know he's shown that he can catch it. Uh, again, it's just a matter of who's proven it. Uh, more consistently. I, I, I don't think there's a guy on this roster in the backfield that can't catch. So, you know, I don't think that's a real concern. Uh, I think you're going to see guys, you know, catch it out of the backfield, regardless of who's in the backfield.
0: Yeah. As we start to transition to the running back room beyond British Brooks, uh, I think it's important to keep in mind too. There's going to be a lot of opportunities last year, Ty Chandler carried the ball 182 times, but Sam Howell also had 182 rushing attempts not sure exactly how sacks are factored in there but it shows that's a lot of carries that are gone off of this roster so i think that british brooks will get his chance but there'll be other backs who fill that void of all those carries that are lost so taylor of those other backs in the running back room we've already mentioned a few of them which one stands out to you as someone you're really keeping an eye on uh, this season
2: yeah it would it would probably be uh Head away based on what what I've seen from him, but kind of like Jason was saying that I think the the default is going to be Jones early on when you're looking for that running back by um, committee type approach with with Brooks leading the way, Jones, and then seeing how quickly those guys pick it up. A lot of these guys, like like Hampton, correct me if I'm wrong, but Hampton wasn't there during the spring. Correct. So so during fall camp is going to be the first time anybody has seen him at the collegiate level um, going live. And outside of the offensive line, transitioning from running back to high school to college is, is a huge jump. And it's based off of pass pro. Like mm-hmm. a, a lot of running backs have not been in situations where where they're needed in pass protection. So I think that's something to keep in mind keep in mind when you're wondering like where some of these young guys are like that is a a skill that is really hard to pick up and for the past couple of years North Carolina has had great running backs at at pass protection when you think of somebody like Javante Williams who was like (laughs) if if you're if you're a blitzer with your head down coming in on Javante Williams like you better keep your head on a swivel because he will plant you to the ground and I think Brooks has some of that too where Brooks Brooks is a special teams guy at heart. Where he he wants to make contact. He he craves that connect and he craves that physicality. So I think somebody like him is going to be more adept to picking up path pro right away, which is going to be uh, a huge key for, for any offense, but especially one with a quarterback as inexperienced as um, Criswell or Drake May. So uh, I. I wouldn't be holding my breath waiting to see, you know, Hampton or, or Petaway. Um, but if I had to pick one, I, I guess with what I've seen so far, I'd give the edge to Petaway just because he's been here uh, since the spring.
1: So one word answer, Jason, I know that's a tough ask, but give me of this. And somebody mentioned Caleb Hood and, you know, we don't really talk about him. He, he's been uh, unhealthy and the room is just so stacked. I mean, it's ridiculous. But give me one name um, in that running back room that has the highest upside this year. Caleb Hood. That's two words. <laughs> and uh, it is one name. But why? Why does Caleb Hood have the highest upside of any running back in that room this year?
3: Well, I think part of it is what Taylor said in terms of guys who are who haven't been on campus as long. Uh, it takes – It takes some time to figure out pass protection. And in modern offenses, the number one job of a running back is don't get your quarterback killed. That's the number one job that you have. The number one job, and I'm going to say it again, the number one job that you have as a running back in a modern college football offense is make sure your quarterback doesn't get killed.
1: Everything else is gravy.
3: Everything else (laughs) is additive on that, but that is the bottom, that is the bare minimum because in modern offenses, the quarterback's going to be throwing the football a lot. So you better know where you're supposed to be when it comes time to actually pick up a linebacker or whatever. Now, RPO stuff that does mitigate that a little bit because, you know, when you've got young guys, you're just telling them, okay, you've got inside zone and the quarterback's either going to pull it or not. And there's a little bit less responsibility on you know the RPO because you're just running the football on, on all of those plays. So that does help shorten the curve a little bit. But it's still really hard for a young player to come in without a spring and just be the guy because you've got a lot to learn, you've got a lot of those things where it's not a physical thing so much as it is mental to be able to do those things. Now, running back is one of those places where, you know, if you're an absolute freak, you can do it faster than, than most other positions. But, you know, if Omarion had been on campus in the, in the spring, I might have said him, but he, he wasn't. So he's starting at sixth on the depth chart. And I would be surprised. I mean, he, look, the guy's a really good prospect, but I, I would be a little surprised if he got major reps early in the season and if he was getting significant, you know, if he was in the rotation much this year at all, given the depth that they've got at that position. So, you know, I saw one of the questions in the chat was, uh, how, how many games before, uh, before Omarion is, is, is the starter? And I would say, you know, has, has, has taken the starting job. And, you know, I would say, uh, what, probably 13? Depending on whether, you know, this Carolina team makes it to the ACC championship, you know, 13 games maybe? Because I don't think he's going to be the starter this year. But I think next year he may well be the starter. I think he might be in the driver's seat to be the starter because I think long-term, the guy probably with the most upside is Hampton. So, to me... You have to look at that and say, okay, well, Hood is a guy that has the, 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 the biggest, he's the, the best size speed combo that you've got. Uh, you know, he's really bursty at that size. And he's been through a spring and a fall, and it's just a matter of whether he can stay healthy. And if he can stay healthy, then I think the upside for him is probably the highest of the guys that are most likely to be you know, he- heavily in the rotation this year, given experience and, and knowledge of the offense and the rest. So that's why I would say him.
1: That's a good answer. I mean, Hampton is a absolute physical freak. Um, I'm going to be interested to in see how it translates to the college level because I know what it did in the high school level and the middle school level, and it was not fair uh, at all on those two levels. Uh, you listen to a uh, special podcasts: Jason Staples, Taylor Viplis, John Bowman, I'm Tommy Ashley. Uh, let's get into the wide receiver discussion uh, because Jason has released those or most of those uh, scouting reports, and I'm going to kick it to John for that. Um, we're going on 10 o'clock Eastern time, so we try to keep these to roughly an hour, but it's kind of tough when Jason's on the show. But <laughs> Go ahead, John.
0: Yeah, we're getting a lot of really good questions about UNC's wide receiver room. you all know the easy answer, Josh Downs. He's going to have a really good season if things stay the way they have the last two years. But the wide receiver not named Josh Downs, who are you all looking at? What young names stand out to you? Uh, Maybe Taylor, we'll start with you there.
2: Uh, As as a deep threat, the guy not named Josh Downs would be somebody like Antoine Green or Bryson Nesbitt. I think those are the next two guys up in terms of um, a deep threat for this offense. You look at somebody like Antoine Green whose yard, yards per catch was actually higher than Josh Downs just because of you know, how many times Carolina is getting Josh Downs the ball. Antoine Green averaged 19.7 yards per catch. And then you have somebody like Bryson Nesbitt who averaged 22 yards per catch. So I think when you're looking for the, the best deep threats, it's Antoine Green, it's Bryson Nesbitt. Antoine Green I thought he came on pretty strong the the last six or seven games of the season. Um, I have his stats. The last six games against Power Five, 399 yards, 66.5 yards per game, four touchdowns. As your as your number two in the offense, I think I think you'd be pretty content with those numbers, especially with the numbers that that Josh Downs is getting and the attention Josh Downs is um, pulling. If if Antoine Green can kind of replicate that for an entire season. And you're looking at, you know, 600, 700 yards, uh, almost double digit touchdowns, kind of like the, the offensive point that I was making before. I think North Carolina fans sign up for Antoine green being at 700, 800 yards, um, for a season. And then with somebody like Bryson Nesbitt, I'm extremely high on Bryson Nesbitt. I think if you use him right in the offense, he, he has the high ceiling in that, in that tight end room um, where if you use him right, I, th- I think he's an all ACC type talent. Um, you, you think of how football is kind of moving away from the traditional tight end that's attached. Um, he, he has the, the size where you can't really put a, a safety on him and, or a, even a nickel. Um, and then he has the speed where it, if you're asking a linebacker to run with him, he's going to outrun and out jump a lot of the guys at that position. Um, when, when you're looking at the tight end room, I, I think he has uh, unquestionably the highest ceiling, but somebody like uh, Kamari Morales, where he is right now, it's pro- he's probably like the safer option. And, and uh, the, he's more of like an outlet type guy for this new quarterback. But I think if you're looking for somebody who's going to be able to stretch the field, it'd be somebody like Bryson Nesbitt.
1: What sayeth you, Jason? I mean, I think Bryson Nesbitt could be different. He, he could be a different type receiver. Um, but is it Antoine Green? I mean, is it Andre Green? Who steps up? Is it somebody like Kobe Pace or Paceauer? You know, who is it on this? I think Antoine Green's a safe bet to be the second guy behind Josh Downs.
3: If he's not, it's because of injury. Uh, and, and I'll say this, you know, first six games – I don't think Green necessarily had a lower level of play. I mean, uh, there were a number of times where I was I was re-watching games and going, my goodness, Sam just doesn't pull the trigger on him. Mm-hmm. There were a number of times where he, he would have been open for wide-open touchdowns, and Howell just never looked at him. So, you know, it's one of those things where you wonder whether the chemistry, if their chemistry is a little bit better between him and this year's quarterback, you know, it might be really good for 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 uh, for Green on that. in in terms of having that trust and and potentially being able to put up, you know, the kind of numbers that he did in the second half of the year for the full season. Uh, As far as the rest, I I completely agree with everything Taylor said. I think it might be a year early for Nesbitt to be a, uh, to be an all ACC guy truly, but he's a guy that, you know, he he has that flex kind of option. He gets really interesting, you know, on third down for some of the back shoulder type options uh, and, and in the red zone. I mean, look, if you miss that guy high, then that's on you. <laughs> so, I mean, th- there's a huge catch radius there, and he is a matchup problem. Uh, and they should be able to find some ways to use him. So, you know, I think you've got three guys you feel really comfortable in that are veterans, that, that have played uh, and have shown that they can play at this level. And then I think the fourth guy really is, is, is Pace Hour after that. Beyond that, I mean, I'm seeing questions about, you know, Andre Green and others. Andre Green's he was not here for the spring. And wide receiver is a whole lot harder even than running back for, uh, for early contributions. I mean, if you go down the list, people are surprised. I, I did this actually a couple of years ago. I went down the list and looked at prior years, blue chip wide receivers and what their stats were as freshmen and sophomores. And you'd be surprised. I, I think you know, anybody out there who wants to take a look through the list from the last, from the last few years, there's usually one or two. Blue chip wide receivers who has really a breakout freshman year. And those guys are almost invariably early enrollees. Even with five-star and high four-star wide wide receiver recruits, it normally takes a full year on campus before they're ready to contribute. It just does. And oftentimes it takes two, even for blue chip guys. I mean, you think about Josh Downs, even. I mean, he arrived on campus more ready than most, but you know wasn't until the very end of his freshman year that he was really making much of a contribution and I think the main reason for that is well for one in, in his case he had Dax in, in front of him so I mean that that was you know he had, a, he had a good player in front of him but at wide receiver in college you've got to read the defense the same way that a quarterback does in high school you just beat the guy in front of you and you run <laughs> I mean you run a slant all right three steps or five steps or zero steps you just go inside and the quarterback hits you because you're just the a better athlete than everybody else in college those guys are as good athletes as you or I mean for the freaks they're not as good as an athlete as you but they're much closer than anybody else you've been up against and you have to start winning with craft and you have to start winning with route running and being able to read defenses and go okay they're bracketing me here. That means I've got to slide this out in a half a yard, or I've got to, you know, I've got to stem this route based on this coverage look. Or this is a single safety, so now I've got to bend this back to the quarterback instead of going to the corner. There's all of these adjustments that you're having to make, and you're having to run to grass. And you know, Phil Longo's offense is big on that, on guys learning where the grass is, and you run to that grass, and you're adjusting on the fly, and the quarterback's adjusting with you. And guess what? When the quarterback adjusts and he throws on faith, and if you don't adjust properly with him, that's a pick. And your number one job as a wide receiver in college football is don't don't cause your quarterback to throw interceptions. Running back, your number one job, don't get your quarterback killed. Wide receiver, your number one job, don't cause interceptions, and young guys cause interceptions. They just do because they run wrong routes. They're, you know, a half a yard off on this route. They're, you know, a yard off, you know, the depth is slightly off on here and then balls picked. And it looks like it's the quarterback's fault, but the, the people who know better are looking at that and going, yeah, quarterback through that, you know, when he was supposed to, to, to where he was supposed to receiver was a half a yard off. And there you go. So I don't expect much generally from young guys. There is some, con- some concern about the depth, though, because they've got, they're relying on some younger guys as well. So, I mean, a, Green is going to have an opportunity to earn reps as the year goes on. I just wouldn't expect it right away. I mean, if he does, then you're talking about a prodigy. I mean, you're Sammy, your Sammy Watkins-type guys. Those guys are rare. Now, I think Sammy was an was a early enrollee as well. But you talk to the Clemson receivers coach. You know, That was Jeff Scott back in those days. And I talked to him about Sammy and he said, Sammy was just a freak in terms of how intelligent he was. He stepped on campus and he understood their full offense in like two weeks. So, I mean, that, and there, there just aren't many guys like that. You just can't expect that. So yeah.
0: Along those same lines, we've talked already about the QB room. UNC could have quarterbacks splitting reps the whole preseason camp. We have two former college wide receivers here. How do you think that impacts the progression of the wide receiver room are they going to be able to build chemistry the same way as they would if they just had one quarterback in all of the main uh, practices this uh, camp how would you sort of approach that if if you were in that wide receiver room getting chemistry with different quarterbacks
3: I mean I I think it shouldn't matter that much honestly I'm, I'm of the view that you know you're supposed you you do get a little bit of a feel of playing with a guy after a while on some stuff but you know you're you're having to make the proper read regardless and you've got to be in the right spot regardless uh you know some guys will get the ball on you a little quicker some guys throw a little bit you know more catchable ball you you have to adjust to where certain guys tend to throw it uh and sort of how it's going to get on you um but generally speaking, you can, you can adjust to that pretty, pretty quickly. It's not so much that, uh, as a, as a limiting factor as it is, you know, learning to play in a modern offense against good against good defenses that force you to think while you're, while you're actually running routes, that's the, that's the bigger hurdle. I don't, Taylor, you may have a, you may differ with me on this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would echo exactly what you said, Jason. Um, I think it's tougher on the quarterback's perspective, um Mm -hmm. than it is for the receivers like a quarterback has to know like you know this receiver is a lot faster like I might have to (laughs) let it go a little sooner or you know this guy's a little slower coming out of their breaks but for the most part like Jason's saying like it's the receiver's job to make the quarterback right and like thinking back to when I was at North Carolina um we we had times where we had two quarterback systems uh with Mitch Trubisky, Marquise Williams And if, if you talk to any of the the receivers at the time, like you, you couldn't really tell a difference when, when Mitch was in or when Marquise was in. And I think those guys did a good job of kind of uh, making it a non-issue. But I think the receivers at the same time kind of took it upon themselves to be like, let's make sure we're good before we start worrying about, you know, who's the one throwing us the ball and try to make them as right as possible. Um, But I, I was thinking I guess North Carolina fans can be a little um, can be a little um I, biases in the word when it comes to freshman receivers just because they've seen freshman receivers kind of come in and contribute right away like I think you look at somebody like like Quintshot his freshman year where he has he goes for over 700 yards his freshman year somebody like Switz who came in Um, and contributed right away as a freshman year, his freshman year. But I think those teams had more of a need for immediate contributions at receiver, um, where like Jason mentioned the the perfect example is somebody like Josh Downs, who's you look at him now and you can make the argument. He's the, he's the best receiver in the country. If, if it's not the, uh, the receiver from Ohio state, um, in terms of returning production or, or Jordan Addison, I guess, um, but right now, I, I don't really see the need to try to force a, a freshman like uh, Andre Green, who's just now getting to campus and just now going through his first collegiate practices to get up to speed when you have somebody like Josh Downs. A lot of the talk this offseason has been Josh Downs getting more comfortable going out wide. And when when you see him out wide, I think Jason hit the nail on the head that you would see somebody like Kobe Paysor. Uh, I think... JJ Jones is a good guy that you could rotate in. But outside outside Green, or, um, Downs, and Jones, I, I would be surprised outside of an injury um, if, you, if you see really any any contributions out of anybody outside of those four, any major contributions.
3: Well, and, and you brought up Switzer, for example. I mean, Switzer had 341 yards as a freshman. That was a really good season. But, I mean, yeah. that's still 300, 340 yards. I mean, it's not like he lit the world up and, you know, he's now the number two receiver, number one receiver on the team. He was a supplementary player on that offense and was an important one, but where he really made his 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 biggest contribution day one was as a returner. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that's just, you know, you catch the ball and in it's instinct and you learn to set your blocks up. Uh, and, you know, Jackson uh, Smith and Jigba at, uh, at, at, um, Ohio State you mentioned you know he might be the the number one receiver in the country if it's not Josh Downs you know his his stat line as a freshman nine receptions for 49 yards and a touchdown I mean that guy's a freak but as a true freshman he sat I mean they had a they had a wealth of riches in front of him for sure but and even Quinn shot, I mean you you look at his numbers and you know they were they were good. I, I can't remember. I think it was like 300 or 400 yards as a freshman. That's a great freshman year. I mean, if you, if you are a, a freshman and you step into an offense that's a pretty good offense and you put up three 400 yards as a freshman, you're probably an NFL guy. So, you know, kind of set that as your, if, you, if, if Carolina gets 350 yards from, from Andre Green this year, that's a really good sign. I mean, I think that means he's a good player. But you know if you expect him to come in and be you know the 750 800 yard guy as a number two or number three option, that would probably be a number two option for that. I think you're you're setting the bar of expectation too high. That doesn't mean it's impossible. I mean Sammy Watkins put up what 1100 yards or whatever in his first year. I mean those guys do exist. you know Amari Cooper, you know some of those guys do exist. they're just they're really the exception rather than the norm.
1: Yeah. It's going to be interesting to watch. Jason, what you got left on the previews for us uh, before we get out of here? So what we're going to go our... through
3: offensive line next and then wrap it up with the, with the wide receivers. So the offensive line is going to be really interesting, I think, for folks because, uh, you know, as many of you will remember, I was higher on my personal scouting, on my scouting reports individually of Carolina's offensive line than I was on Carolina's offensive line as a whole uh, last year. Uh, and the prior year and felt like they didn't actually maximize the talent that they had on the roster and then this year you're going to kind of see a little bit of uh, of how that plays out with some of those guys now gone uh, and those guys got drafted <laughs> they're, they're going to play I mean in that offensive line you realize they're going to have probably three guys from that offensive line last year that are going to end up playing actually playing on Sundays, which is, kind of tells you how inexcusable it was that they didn't get the performance that they should have out of those guys while they're on campus. I, I think there is reason to be cautiously optimistic about maybe some improvement unit-wide this year, though it may be a year away, really, from where they where they hope to be as an offensive line, be a year or two away as you know, some habits get built. But uh, that'll be something to, something to look at. Uh, and then, of course, the quarterback uh, stuff will probably end up having to talk through that once those get released, because I'm sure that'll uh, cause some discussion. So
0: yep. It sounds, so like off- a, uh, sounds like a good super premium podcast on the super premium board. Just <laughs> 50 minutes of Eli Sutton's footwork with Jason and Tommy just going at it. I think that's the, the teaser for that as well. Well, I'm I'm
3: seeing two questions here. How much will Bicknell help? A lot. (laughs) Number one, I think you've, I already saw a difference in the spring game. Some improvements on just basic stuff that should have been, that that attention to detail should have been there. But it takes a while for certain things to kick in in terms of habits when those haven't been enforced for for a couple of years prior. So it's going to help. How much in the first year is hard to tell. But I think you're going to see the offensive line improve this year. And I think that improvement, if they can stay healthy, will, will increase as the year goes on. Uh, and then the other question was, you know, can Rice start? Uh, and the the question, the answer to that, can he start? Yes, I think he, he can. Do I think it's most likely and would it be ideal for him to, to be the starter there? probably not early in the year, because again, you're, you're asking a guy, you're trusting a young guy a lot on the edge and you've got some other young pieces on the offense, but physically speaking, you can see the potential. I mean, that's a guy, that guy could very easily turn into a first rounder. And if he is, if he has put in the work and and, and develops to where he's going to beat out some of the options that they're going to have, that could be a good sign. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's not impossible. I I, I wouldn't expect it though.
1: A lot to look forward to from Jason Staples with those scouting reports. uh, Taylor Vipolis always kicking out the content. Great stuff from him. We will get together at some point closer to the season and have a prediction podcast. I promise Buck Sanders will be involved, Jason, Vip. Uh, We might have to get Greg in on it. I think Greg's usually in it. John, you might have to just sit back and watch this all crash and burn. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's usually fun to do. Um, we've got to figure out how to do an Excel sheet so we can share the screen, all that stuff, so we can have it um, forever um, put out there for everybody to forget.
3: I'm seeing um, the 12-0 comments
1: coming in. <laughs> September 13th, yeah. People, uh, you wanted it, you asked for it, and then you bit my head off for it. So, anyway, I'm going to get out we're gonna, of
2: here on this one. Tommy, we're going to get you a 12-0 chain, and then we're going to bury it in kill like the turnover chain in,
1: in south <laughs> yeah. we're going to uh let's get it and then i'm gonna carve out a portion of the field turf in keenan split a seam and stuff it under there and leave it and then we will resurrect it one day if it ever happens <laughs> I, yeah. I think that would that would, that would be a, a sure way of cursing that turf yeah they, you got it right well <laughs> i guess the uh incense and the other stuff that was waved around several we need years some back. holy oil <laughs> let me get out of here before y'all embarrass me further <laughs> we'll be back with on the beat live tomorrow at nine o'clock greg barnes john and myself will be here might have another special guest we'll see um, but it's been the inside carolina podcast always sponsored by johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com rate us review us like us subscribe whatever so when you're on the youtube channel you get this alert and it tells you we're live might be more of them down the road but guys it's always been a pleasure thanks so much for y'all's time and everybody thanks for listening